I realize your guy's show is for the lore, which means I can actually for the lore, and it almost <laughs> works. <laughs> You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. Welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, September 6th for another fine episode. We've actually got the whole crew back again, although one of us is a little sickly, but he is muscling through because he is that dedicated to the job. So Joe Vince, welcome back. Um, how was the move? Uh, it was a boring move, which is about as best as you can hope for, really. No kidding. Nothing broken? Nothing broken. Um, what nothing was the problem missing? you had with your PC? You were saying that it wasn't working. Near as we can tell, when we were just moving it, the uh, battery popped out, like the CMOS battery popped out, but not long enough to do a full flash. So it kind of got stuck half between. So we actually had to like pull the CMOS battery all the way out, do a complete flash of the BIOS, and then it booted up just fine. So, so I mean, it was like, and I'm sitting there and I was really? thinking about it. It's like, it couldn't, it couldn't possibly be that. I mean, it didn't jostle enough for that. And sure enough, that's exactly what it was. Brother, I have moved more PCs than I can remember at all of the it jobs i've done and especially with all the imaging you're and always it's never taking, happened right i have never heard now i have had to pop batteries out but that's because there's an inherent problem with that type of system that it's known that that's the quick fix is just flash the cmos or pop it out kind of thing um especially also when i was doing the hardware reviews when i would overclock the shit out of things yeah you got to reset it all the time but i've never ever heard of a battery popping out like that yeah, neither and neither had I, and I was just sitting there, and I was freaking out too, because I'm like, I can't afford to fix it. Blah, fuck this shit. You know, I'm like flipping over tables, and you know, <laughs> you, you got to like, work on that rage. I had I had, I had my or I had my like purple shorts on and everything. It was like Joe Hulk smash mode. I was so angry, and then like I'm finishing moving stuff in, and I, you know, Kirby comes in, crycheck, and he's like, Hey, Joe, yeah. It's fixed, and it's like <laughs> the rage is gone. The rage was gone immediately, and I just hugged him. And he's like a lot bigger than I am, both height and girth. So it was like it was like big guy being hugged by a really little guy. It was hysterical. I want pictures of that reenacted and get Tart to take pictures. <laughs> oh, it was so much, it was so uncomfortable for him too. He didn't know what to do. He just like kind of patted my head. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> no problem, kid. Oh, Kirby, you are now my favorite person in the universe. <laughs> that is awesome. All right. And uh, let's actually stick on the topic of hardware just for a little bit. It's not something we normally discuss on the show. I mean, yeah, we discuss new consoles and stuff, but we don't tackle a lot of it. Um, we did get some interesting news, though, this week in regard to different hardware stuff. Actually, Vince, you're the one that found out about the tablet, so I'll let you take this one. Yeah, Sony has announced that they have uh, two 
Android PlayStation certified tablets launching later this year. The first is what they're calling the Tablet S, a phenomenal name that's just going to you know, be in the, all the headlines. And it's your standard 10.1-inch Android tablet, uh, a lot like the Samsung Galaxy or the Motorola Zoom or any of the other ones that are out there right now. 10.1-inch um, screen, Intel Tegra 2 processor, standard pretty much across the board. Of course, this one just happens to be made by Sony. Now, there is a pretty big difference in the form factor between the two. It's got this weird... I don't even know what to call it. They say it looks like you rolled up a magazine, and that's probably the best way to describe it, how it's thin at the bottom and thick at the top. So you can actually set it down on your desk or whatever you want. And, okay, sure, whatever. And maybe it'll be more comfortable when you're playing games on it. I really couldn't tell you. But one of the big things you notice about it is it looks great in landscape mode, but if you try and use it in portrait mode, suddenly one side is bigger than the other. It seems kind of awkward to me. But... That's their decision. That's something different out there, at least, because pretty much all the tablets right now look the same. So at least it's kind of distinguishing itself. But the main reason you'd get this one over the others is that it has the PlayStation games enabled on it. Uh, they showed off Crash Bandicoot and any of the other ones you can play on uh, the Xperia Play, their little handheld Sony phone. But at least the phone, it has buttons. This one, it's just the, the buttons laid out on the touchscreen. Not, not even shoulder buttons. Like It seems like it would be kind of awkward to play a lot of games on the system. I, I think at least they could have put on some sort of controller port or USB or something so that you could play the games without this giant 10.1-inch touchscreen you'd have to work around. Well, it's kind of the same thing in terms of like a tablet play style that you get with the iPad. So they're already seeing how people have accepted the iPad's lack of buttons you know not virtual buttons right, but real buttons but, so they're 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 going to do the same thing but at least those games are designed for that purpose these are playstation one games so you've got a full d-pad four face buttons and then four shoulder buttons on the screen i'm not saying it's better by <laughs> any stretch of the imagination i'm sorry but i read this and i looked at it and i read i watched the review too where they were showing it off and everything and I would not pick this up. No, I, I sure shit wouldn't pick it up for the price point they're talking about. Well, it's it's the same price as the the Samsung and Motorola exactly models. And from what I've seen, it's not worth that. I mean, again, the the, the PS One ports isn't enough to justify something like this when. They may think it's a, an interesting concept, but I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, well, having had now my iPad for, well, since it came out, I, I, I kind of have a handle on what I like about handheld or tablets and what maybe I would like and all that. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, no, I really, really wouldn't. That, that magazine, folded magazine thing is really not something that I like at all, at all, at all, at all. It's not high enough that it's going to help you when you're typing on a virtual keyboard kind of thing. It's not high enough to make it so that you can just prop it on a table and read it comfortably because the angle is nowhere near high enough for that. These are all things that you get from either a stand or a case. So there's, there's really nothing like, I mean, the other one, that's the dual screen, which is basically a DS, come on, people, <laughs> but for PlayStation, <laughs> um, the other one is better in terms of, um, it, I mean, you can at least deal with the fact that it's got those buttons and everything. It's a little wonky, but it, it's, I mean, it's 
I don't see it more as a tablet, like for reading books and everything else. It's a little gaming tablet is what it is. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if your primary purpose for buying a tablet, then the other one, the tablet P that you mentioned, it's got dual 5.5 inch screens, DS style. That probably seems like it's going to be the better way to go because it's more compact, more handheld. It, it just seems like it would work better for gaming. But I mean, I myself, I own an Android tablet. I got the Acer model, which is $150 less than the other ones. And I can plug in a USB controller if I want. And there are ways, let's just say that someone could play PlayStation games on that same exact tablet for a much lower price. And I still have all the full functionality of actually having a tablet that I can hold normally and use regularly. So it, if it just doesn't seem like their, their, their 10 inch tablet really has a, a, a use outside of the gaming, like you said. No. And see the thing with the, the smaller one too, that that's folding, um, I'm thinking, what really was the purpose of bringing this out with the freaking Vita coming out? Like, I mean, this year in Japan and next year in in North America, what exactly is the point of bringing out this DS looking thing? I I don't get it really. There's, it, I kind of like it. it. I I don't know. Again, if you're looking at it in comparison to a Vita. Is there even a choice as to which one you would pick up? It depends on the functionality. It's not so much the the, the fact that I'm not going to pick up a Vita to game, but I have been looking personally for like a tablet just to kind of carry around and do some pocket computing. Um, and one of the, the tablets that I looked for when they were really starting to come out was the one that opened up just like a book. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it allowed you to have like a lot of functionality and control just based off of gestures off the center spine and use it just like a book. If this has that same sort of functionality and I can still play like, you know, some games on it as well, it might be worth picking up at that point. Okay. You know I, 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 yeah, I, I can see it, but I don't know. I, I, I'd say there, there's better options out there, but I, I, it just doesn't seem like it has really a purpose outside of the gaming. I And I agree. That's that's exactly what I thought. And again, I think, okay, looking at both those tablets, um, before I would even ever, ever consider the the 10.1 tablet, I would definitely go with, and if it was that I wanted an Android tablet, I would definitely go with something else, like the Acer or something else. Um, if it's just a tablet, I'm quite likely just to stick with my freaking iPad because... I still use it every single day and multiple uses, not just, not just reading comic books, all the reading comic books on the iPad, dude, doesn't get any better. Um, and then in terms, in terms of this 5.5 flip screen thing, well then you, you, you have to compare it to either a DS or the upcoming Vita. And there's just, there's no way in hell I would ever buy that over a Vita. So, I mean, they've got it right with the Vita. I can't wait for it. Screw oh, yeah. the freaking starting early in Japan. <laughs> Same time, dudes. Make it happen. Okay. In other hardware news, um, some of you who've listened to our past shows might remember that we had talked about how uh, they were working on 3D, te 3D technology that would allow you to play co-op with someone so that you're both sitting on the couch and yet you're both seeing different things. Okay, now we've actually mentioned it a couple of times in prior episodes. Well, the first TV to make use of that is coming out and that is coming out from uh, LG 
and they're putting out what is it a 47 inch and a 55 yep. inch and we're looking yep. at uh 2900 and 4000 price wise for both of them and basically what this is going to allow you to do is like i said you can sit down play co-op now it's not just a gaming tv of course it's got all the other smart tv functions and all that but for gaming you can sit down play cooperatively with someone and you will see different things on the screen based on the character you select and, and whatnot now i don't know how much how much functionality they have to put in the game to as well, work. or if any, because if a game operates on split screen, maybe the TV has a smart programming in it to differentiate that. I don't know how it's going to work. Nobody does because it doesn't. It's not out yet. It doesn't exist. Yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you would think maybe they'd put out the information somewhere, but I haven't found it. But that to me, that's what would make sense. And that way, there then you don't need to rely on the programmers to put that in there. It's just that, again, the TV recognizes that, oh, it's supposed to be split here. No, put do this instead. But I just think that's freaking awesome. Dudes, my God. In a little bit, when the prices go down on these, because same as they've gone down on 3D TVs, it may be time <laughs> to upgrade that TV in the living room because that is something that, like, my son and I game together all the time, and, and we like finding co-op games that we can play and all that. That would be freaking amazing. It has potential to be really awesome. My only concern is whether or not developers are going to really start making use of it or not, or if it's going to be another awesome technology that just kind of falls to the wayside. You know what I mean? Yeah, so many games are phasing out the local multiplayer option in favor of, you know, online or what have you. So yep. it, that, that's a big complaint in a lot of games that come out. Like, where's the split screen? Where's the split screens? People still want to play split screen. It's just not in the no games anymore. It. Yeah. Well, again, though, if they are offering things like this, maybe. I mean, yeah, it's a big maybe, but maybe that will be enough to get developers doing things. I mean, if the hardware that's coming out is pushing for exactly that kind of thing, then it would stand to reason the developers will think, oh, okay, well, maybe if we put the game out with that option, then, you know, we'll stand to sell more copies. Now, in terms of developers, nice segue there as well. <laughs> We got some information. Eurogamer got their hands on a copy of Microsoft's content submission and release policy. I was aghast. Not surprised, but oh my God, just pissed off on behalf of Sony is what I, I was. <laughs> Vince, you read this, I assume? Oh, yes, I, I certainly did. How they're talking about how Microsoft has all of these rules laid out for what a developer and publisher is required to do in order to have their game on 360. Uh, first of all, if your game comes out for 360, it must either be a limited exclusive for the 360 or launch at the same time on other platforms. So if you want to do a limited exclusive on PlayStation, you can't put it on 360 is basically what they're saying. Uh, aside from that, the game on disc must be the same between 360, PS3, at PC as well. That's why we see a lot of the uh, the exclusives being more downloadable stuff because they can get around that. But on the disc, it has to be the exact same game. You can't offer different content between systems anymore, which I, I, I guess that's something recently they put in with the whole you know, Soul Calibur thing that they had a few years ago. So that's that whole era has gone out the window. You can't have those platform exclusive things unless they're downloadable now. 
And just, you know, Sony is like, that just shows how Microsoft is trying to keep their outdated technology alive, going on to tout, you know, all the features that Blu-ray can offer that Microsoft can't quite come up to. Well, see, that's the big one right there. It's it's the exclusivity stuff is, okay, I'm fine with that. I, I kind of like that they try to go out a little bit and get something special for their their console but i i like it because i've got them all maybe if i didn't i'd be a little pissed off but i mean Mm -hmm. um but for me it's the fact that they're not going to let someone create two versions of, of the game where one has a lot more content or a lot better looking content or something based on the fact that you can store so much more on the blu-ray than you can on the regular dvd that's used by xbox so that's really tying the hands of the developers and holding them back instead of being able to progress forward with the development of the games and do something absolutely awesome well you look at a game like la noir it's an absolutely massive game it ships on three discs for the 360 but i mean that doesn't hold the game back at all it's just they have to work a little harder to separate it sure but i i wouldn't say that the blu-ray capability of the playstation requires that the PlayStation version of games, you know, have to be this big grand experience. I mean, just to use the example they gave, how they say Metal Gear Solid 4, and this is their quote, widely recognized as one of the best games ever produced for a console, is 25 gigabytes and thus wouldn't be possible on the 360. Well, it would be possible. You have to use up a few, you know, extra discs, of course. but. A few. <laughs> or, you know, the developer can just learn to make a game that doesn't have 45-minute cutscenes in it. <laughs> yeah, but I like cutscenes. I mean, they don't have I... to be that long, of course. But, I mean, when you're looking at a lot of the way that the games are being made now, where the cinematics are blended into the gaming experience, like when you're looking at Uncharted and you're looking at the scenes where the cinematics are all blended into your gameplay kind of thing. So you're going to have a lot more of those as you progress. I'm all right with there being a crap load of those. I mean, no, I don't want something that lasts 45 minutes, but I mean a whole bunch of them throughout the gaming experience not only will lengthen the gaming experience, but will really make it feel more entertaining as well. I mean, much no, I, grander I, in scope. I, I, I... And if I got to stop, (laughs) Nathan stops, you know, he's about to slug somebody and he stops and it says, please insert disc two. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I I totally agree. I just found it humorous that they used Metal Gear Solid as an example. And the only reason why that used up 25 gigabytes was because of all the cinematics. A lot of them weren't in-game engine. It was just, you know, pre-rendered an actual video file. So that probably wasn't their best selling point on that. Joe, opinions? Honestly, I think it's not going to matter in a couple of years. And I think that's going to be the big thing because with bandwidth increasing everywhere and with hard drive space on home consoles increasing to the point where they're broadband connected and can download just about anything, I think it's a moot point at this at this juncture. Developers will just find a way around it. Well, um, all they got to do is make the the disk have an install. But yeah. then you're you're essentially forcing your players to have a fairly large hard drive on when you can buy right when you can buy a terabyte high, a terabyte hard drive for you know sixty bucks and plug it into your console and have it work right away. Oh okay, well. hold on one second now though. I know that you can plug in hard drives on into the three sixty, but I don't believe you can install games to it. It yes, still has yeah. to be installed to the internal, does it not? 
nope, you can still install anything to the external as well. Are you sure about that? Yeah, I, I did it myself. I put. Yeah, a, but your 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 Xbox is quote unquote special. It's your your Xbox is I, morally bankrupt, is what it is. It's morally <laughs> bankrupt as far as disc reading. That's about it. Um, but no, you can install to anything that's that's recognized as a hard drive on the unit. It just recognizes it as an external source. It has well, to be USB two point or, or better capable. The, the, from my research on the subject, at least that the Xbox uses the old FAT thirty two. Uh, file structure, so it can't read that full terabyte. Is the is the big problem from what I've heard? It can only uh, use a certain. No, no, of it. no. It can. No, it can. Yeah, yeah it just for, depends for right on how it can. Yeah, it depends on how you uh, you format it. I've plugged mm-hmm. in uh, freaking five hundred gigabytes on uh, on my Xbox and it reads it in Prom. Okay. It's all on how you format it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So move... it's an easy fix. Yeah, yeah. So no, I didn't right, realize you could actually it, install to the externals. Yeah, I'm sorry, just to interrupt there, but. Until that becomes a packaged-in feature of the Xbox, developers can't take advantage of it. And that that was, I think, Microsoft's big misstep this generation of wanting to release the Xbox at a lower price point and having that model without the hard drive. Because that's one of the things that set the first Xbox apart is that it had the hard drive and the games could use it. So launching the 360 with a model that didn't have the hard drive, that pretty much took Microsoft out of that equation because no developer can release a game that's going to require the hard drive if a big portion of gamers are going to have a system that doesn't have one. Okay, enough of that. Yep. I And I agree. No, I, I fairly intense when I read that myself. I, I know that there are ways around it and things like that, and it's funny because it affects more... The um, well, it, it affects all developers, but it's one of those situations where it's actually affecting the AAA developers more than mm-hmm. it is the indie ones because they may be at a point where they want to do more with the hardware and do more with the how they're coding for things, and they can't because their hands are being tied by one of the giants. So, anyways, let's talk about some actual games now. Not surprising, we found out some news about Star Trek Online because it's gone free to play. Joe? Well, I mean, it's really not that much of a surprise right now, considering that the numbers for the game were already dwindling as it was, but making it free to play is a move, I think, to entice players back, and, well, that's it's, that's really about it. It's not surprising, too, because ever as soon as it got taken over by Perfect World... Oh, yeah, it was going to happen. And that's basically all they deal with, is free-to-play games. It was really not surprising, and sure enough, it was announced by Perfect World that the game is going to be uh, going free to play by the end of 2011. Yeah, and there's a there's a list of the like we love our grids and lists uh, of what they're going to have like unlimited access to and whatnot as far as uh, you know your free to play. Uh, so free to play, you're going to get all sectors and missions, uh, PvP access, fleet actions, uh, events and dailies, feature episode series. Uh, special Task Force, uh, all those are going to be unlimited access. Klingon Play will still be unlocked at level 25, just like the normal game. All of the classes are are there. Uh, the default playable species are there. Um, playable play, play, premium playable species are unlockable, but that's also gold members as well, the, the paid ones or lifetime subscription members. Um, you can join a fleet, uh, which is like a guild, um, but you can you have a limited access to create one. Uh, you also have limited energy credit storage. Um, let's see here. You have two character slots instead of three. Uh, additional bridge officer slots are purchasable on the silver uh, the silver player free-to-play, um, unlike the gold members, which automatically get two. 
Uh, you will have a your max inventory is 48. Your max bank inventory is 48, which is uh, personal inventory for a regular paying customer, 72 for your personal inventory and 96 for your bank. Um, you get still get three free costumes. Um, your captain retrain token, your respec, uh, you have to purchase for your silver player. You don't get access to one free per one or one free per week like you do with the gold membership. Um, Foundry creator access is locked. Um, you do not get access to it for free to play. Uh, Foundry project slots, you do not get access to it. Um, you can still play the content, you just can't make it. Uh, all standard ships are available. All premium ships are purchasable. And uh, veteran rewards are not available. Priority logging is not available. Everything else is kind of um, standard, except for one thing that did catch me off guard. The in-game Vivox voice chat. The game had built-in voice chat, right? And it was one of those things that a lot of games started to include at the time to make fleet actions or group activities easier. Well, in the free-to-play, there's going to be ads on it now because it is ad-supported. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So hmm. you're talking to your friends, you're in the heat of battle? Please buy Nike. I mean, that's going to be pretty fucking annoying. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's at least hope the ads are targeted to talking about, you know, new Blu-ray releases or something. <laughs> probably not. It's probably not. It's probably going to be something completely unrelated. <laughs> I mean, aside from that, though, I mean, this is a pretty good comparison between the two. I mean, looked at a game recently, uh, Champions Online, where the free version was awful. So I, I at least yep. have to give them uh, respect that they're, you're getting a pretty good chunk of the game actually for free. I'm wondering what that's going to mean now, though, for the um, the people who have been playing since the beginning or whatever and were paying. Again, they choose to go with the free option now instead of paying, and it's going to be one hell of a hit still to them. I mean, you're losing bridge officers and different things unless you're you're paying extra for it. So I think that there, the likelihood of some people a little upset about this is... I think it's pretty high. Now, that being said, too. There is no rage quite like a Star Trek nerd Oh, rage. yeah. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> but, again, I'm wondering just how many people can, do they think they're going to be able to entice into playing with the free-to-play model at this point? We really have not been hearing that much about this game, with the exception of, I mean, the big article not that long ago that they were talking about what they were putting in. But, really, the news has been kind of sparse if at best i if that so i don't know there there would have to be a lot more advertising a lot more talking about it getting them on you know podcasts online doing interviews and stuff like they did initially to get people interested and at that point you got to wonder is it going to be enough to actually revive the game i don't well, think so i don't think I it's going to be enough to revive it i i think that some people will pick it back up the content's still not going to be there, and then they're going to walk away. The only difference is now with it being free-to-play is I can pop in every now and then, uh, you know, if I'm average Joe Gamer, and just see if they've added anything new without having to spend $15 in my money. So they might get a couple more active accounts out of it, but it's not going to be that big a deal, I think. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. They're going to get more people playing the game, but I don't know if it's really going to help their income any because if there's no reason to... And he put forth any of the money because there's no content, then yeah, nobody's gonna actually pay either style. 
Okay, talking about free stuff again too. The um, we were talking a while back how there was going to be a, a patch for well a DLC I should say for uh, DC Universe Online, and that was the uh, what's it called again the fight for the light, and that light. and that's the Green Lantern update to the DLC, and that basically puts the that as your seventh power choice set that you can do for the light and then you can either have um hal jordan or uh, uh sinestro as your your mentors is it can it or are they just i, I don't think the they're, they're no they're, they're, they're not mentors like the other six are but they're in the game i don't know if they are or not Okay, and then it, I don't think they're mentors. And then it does add the the other stuff that you can do in Star Labs and whatnot. We and we, we talked about it a while back, a little bit more in detail. And at the time, they had said they were going to be charging for it, and I was fairly adamant that I think that it's wrong <laughs> because, especially, I was still playing at the time. Excuse me, I have actually stopped playing it now. And they did announce, though, that it is going to be free now, and it does look like it's going to be a sizable chunk. Not enough for the price that they were saying before, but as a free DLC, this is freaking awesome, actually. This is really cool. As Am I going to have to go back and play the game now? I don't think I it's think. got that much. <laughs> I want to try out the powers. The powers look really cool, though. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. But then the funny thing is, is that if you resub, you're just giving them that money that you would have otherwise of 15 bucks. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a win-win for them. But no, I mean, it's not enough to get me into the game, um, even just for a month. I mean, maybe close. But the thing is, is that I know that I'll play it through. I'll be done in a couple of nights and then... Well, there you go. I'm not going to play for the rest of the month, probably. It's not enough that it'll keep me playing. Even though, yes, you can have the different play style if you choose to change your character over to the light kind of thing. But that still doesn't... All that's going to do is going to change your your action when you're, you're fighting and doing things in the game. But it's all pretty much still the same content with the exception of these few instance things that they're tossing in. Yeah, I think they really needed to add in the two new mentors with two new quest lines to make this fully worthwhile. And new quest lines is what they need, intro quest lines especially. Um, it's funny because, again, you I think about all of the MMOs that we've played, and it's important to have different starts for everything so that you can experience the game differently when you're playing your alts and not just the same quest but you look different and unfortunately for dcu online that's pretty much what it is you're experiencing the same thing the same quest even if you go villain versus hero you're going to experience some different things but the quests are damn near the same thing all the way through so that's what they need to work on next and i think i don't know i i think that if they can continue doing stuff like this with the free dlc and really keep the 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 interest going with it but then really start adding a lot more to flush it out then later on it would be worth it for us to start again because there'll be a lot newer content like remember when the game first came out and a lot of people were asking about specifically Green Lantern related content and they're like, we're going to hold it off because we want to make it a big deal. We want to make it a huge event and really something special to the game. And I'm not seeing that. Not yet. I don't think it's happening yet. All right. Let's talk about something that I know we are all very excited about. <laughs> and that is talk of uh, Torchlight MMO. Yay! 
us. So back again to Perfect World, who has a majority share in uh, Runic, and they were saying that the Torchlight MMO is still on course for late 2012 or early 2013. Now, we have to remember that they are also, like we said, have majority in Cryptic, and Cryptic is working on the Neverwinter MMO, which is set to release around the same time. And you have to wonder if they can put out two quality games at that time. You also have to wonder whether Torchlight, if they can produce an MMO by that time. I mean, we saw an interview. I know I saw an interview um, with Max Schaefer where he was talking about just this because they asked him about the MMO and he mentioned how the staff is really small. They can only do one thing at a time. Right now, they just finished off Torchlight 2. They're, well, they're just finishing off Torchlight 2. And then they'll go from there and decide what they, what's the right course of action. He actually even said that, yeah, they're looking at they would like to do it. But he didn't confirm, like, like uh, what's his name? Kelvin Lau, who is mm -hmm. with uh, Perfect World, confirmed, said that, yeah, it's coming out. But again, it raises that question. Do you think... A staff that small, because I believe he said, what, 35, 40 people that work there, can produce an, a Torchlight MMO, even if the engine's already done. Torchlight MMO, buy, and we'll give them early 2013, maybe even mid-2013. Do you think it's possible, Joe? I think it's possible. I think that I would like to see them take some more time, though. And I think I, I want to make sure that they can, you know, give it the best bang for buck. And I have faith in them. I think that they can do it. I think that anything that's going to carry the Torchlight name is going to have the uh, the polish that is necessary um, and the sort of the, the level of quality that we've grown to expect. Uh, but, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't mind waiting a little bit longer just to make sure that it's done right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think they could have a game out by then. I, the, the, the scope and the quality I'm not sure of. But then again, I have enough faith in Runic that I'll believe it's possible until they tell me it's not. Hmm. See, regardless of how much I think of them, I don't think they could put out an MMO that fast. I just... it's gonna it's gonna be tough without hiring new staff or something. Yeah, because I mean, look at how long it's taken them for Torchlight Two, and no, it hasn't taken a ton of time by any stretch of the imagination. But it's still taken enough time, and it's still not done either. And that was just for you know three zones and yes it's big but it's nowhere near what an mmo would be and i'm not comparing it in terms of mmo to something the size of the old republic or wow or things like that i'm i'm thinking smaller mmo kind of thing but even then i have a hard time believing that they'd be able to put an mmo out a quality mmo even using the same game engine game engine by 2013 but I would love to see it. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. I'd love it. I would love to have it in my hands. If you guys can do it, I want to play it because right now, dude, I am itching for Torchlight 2 like you would not believe. So a Torchlight MMO, my God, just hook the feed up to my eyeballs. <laughs> I'll play. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Deus Ex Human Revolution. We actually have a fantastic review of the game by Joe that I'm going to be playing for you guys later on. However, there was some... As the game is being played and being reviewed now, we're seeing some in interesting things about the game. And 
I'm I'm reading a lot more about people commenting on different things that have to do with how races are being identified, um, treated in the game and whatnot. And of course, Square Enix is saying, no, no, we meant no disrespect at all. But it's funny that, and it may be people that are being far too politically correct, possibly. But it's funny when you see some of the things like the homeless person, Letitia, <laughs> this is the video that everybody <laughs> likes to point to. And I have to say now I haven't played the game, so I'm not going to comment on what I think of all the racial stuff in the game because I haven't played it. But I watched this and it's funny because I've seen all the trailers. Now I've watched playthroughs and different things and I watched this and when I watched, I thought somebody was pulling a Rick Astley on us, and basically <laughs> it, it was somebody had dubbed their voices saying all kinds of weird shit and all that. And I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And then you realize at one point it's like, oh, my God, no, this is the actual voice. <laughs> and it's like they just went out of their way. Either they, they, they didn't care to do a good job or they just, I don't know, when you're listening to it and it's that stereotypical southern black woman kind of really not even modern either it's like no, something you see like in an old, old movie school. oh it yeah. was terrible it was really really uh. terrible and then you start reading comments from people who are of various asian descents too saying you may yeah, think China that's much better yeah <laughs> listen buddy we were playing the game too and we felt just as uncomfortable here here and here and all these other stuff and i'm going really wow <laughs> so what did you guys think of this to be perfectly honest, I mean, I'm not going to say that I was, like, incensed by it. I noticed it. Um, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay. So I dealt with Letitia once and then moved on. Um, just kind of didn't go back. The rest of the game is fantastic. Um, just it, it is a little weird to see something so stereotypical and hokey, almost, put it, into it, the game. It says a lot to the quality of Deus Ex that I still think it's a phenomenal game. Oh, yeah. Despite all the problems I have with it. And the voice acting is one of my biggest problems with the game. I mean, I'd say it's mediocre at best in a lot of places. And the the ethnic <laughs> voice actors they have for the Chinese people, for the African-Americans, for anything in the game, it's, it's painful. Like, I skipped over every bit of dialogue in China because I just couldn't listen to it. It was that stereotypical hokey. And I don't want to say it's purposefully racist because I I certainly hope it's not but I, I, I do have to say that there shows a vast amount of racial insensitivity if A it was written like this B it was recorded like this and then C it was produced like this and put out to sell I I don't see how they could have not noticed a problem with this well I mean think about it this way too uh, 10 years ago well, we'll even go 10 years ago you had your campy sci-fi movies where this stuff was perfectly normal. Um, and, and I'm not saying that it's right, but it was normal. And it was sort of like the accepted comedic relief almost to have everybody be that stereotyped uh, in those. You had the, the, the scientists, the Asian scientists, and you know the, the token black guys and everything else in between that sort of fit into these, these roles that were over-exaggerated. Um, if you look at the way the game is paced, it's not much different than those movies. And I'm not saying that it's, like I said, I'm not saying it's right, but it kind of makes sense for the genre. Um, I think maybe they may be doing a little backpedaling now. Um, and I definitely agree that I don't think they could have recorded, written, and produced all of this without having, you know, well, this sounds a little bit, you know, kind of kind of 
demeaning. Know, stereotype, <laughs> demeaning. We, we should probably look into that. Uh, you know what I mean? Instead of just saying owning up, it's a campy sci-fi film. Enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I, that's what I. That's personally what I get out of it. Because I mean, you can watch Sci-Fi Channel on Sunday morning and watch those awesome movies like you know Giant Python versus Giant Boa, and you get the exact same voice acting. Oh yeah, and again, this is why when I was watching it, I thought somebody had dubbed something over. But the thing is, is that if you're selling a game as a AAA title that is a modern game that's going to appeal to modern gamers. Do you think that it's actually right <laughs> to do something like that? I don't know. When I think about it, I think if I were that company and I'm trying to put out something that's good, it's just, it's the equivalent of, yeah, we can find those old sci-fi shows and whatnot. However, yeah, there's a lot of, there's still some that are being made, but I mean, there's a lot better quality now in TV and in movies that you don't see that kind of thing nowadays. Fair so, enough. But at the same point, and, and I'm just going to interject here real quick. One of the themes about the game is, is retro. I mean, there's a lot of random retro stuff in there. You'll hear more about this in my review when you, when you guys are listening to it. Um, there is a sort of old world everything underneath the layer of the new. So you have like the new cyberpunkish feel, but you still have like Italian Renaissance stuff going on in the background and things like that. So I'm not I'm not judging them based on that because who who am I to you know swing my moral compass at them? Um, I, I can not agree with it, but the rest of the game is still fantastic. And even then, that sort of ridiculous stereotyping sadly kind of fits with the sort of retro feel of the most of the game. Uh, I just have to say that the way it was handled in this game was so far over the top. It it became unnecessary for a project of this scope and to the millions of people that they're trying to sell the game to. I, I think something of this stature deserved to be a little better. I Like I said, I haven't played it yet, so I'm not going to put my opinions in terms of what it actually is. It, me, it's all just conjecture and, and what I saw with that. What killed me with that, too, is that they were saying, like, the voice is so out there and doesn't fit with anybody else that he talks to in the game. Like, no other homeless people are talking like this. Everybody else <laughs> sounds normal. You go and talk to her, and she sounds like she's from Alabama from the freaking, you know, 50s, and not, not even that, like, from a bad movie from <laughs> the 50s kind of thing. So, again, I think that if you're working on a AAA title, even if you're going retro, you can go retro without being insulting oh, yeah. to those well, races. Agree. So that, that's all I mean. And again, maybe that wasn't their intent and it just came out that way, but you got to wonder, okay, well, one flub. Okay, fine. You didn't mean it. But, but if there's that many people that are kind of being a little upset with this you gotta kind of wonder okay let's move away from that though now and talk about something equally awesome but in a different way there was a gameplay footage i'm actually gonna play it here i'm just gonna kill the sound so that i can play for the audience um and what is it yeah four minutes of gameplay footage of uncharted 3 dude it's freaking indiana (laughs) jones and i'm perfectly all right with it i just freaking if it's funny because we just talked about this not that long ago and i'd been saying okay they've shown me enough they, they had me at hello essentially you know okay i'll i'll buy it there's not much more and then i saw this and it was like oh my god keep sending more keeps i take it all back <laughs> <laughs> i want to see more this was so freaking awesome 
it's the Indiana Jones we've always wanted. That's that's that was my only thought. Like watching the video, it was like, oh my god, 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 awesome. It was just ridiculous. Every every aspect of it, every inch of it, everything about it, absolutely love it. I mean, it just the completely ludicrous scenarios that Drake finds himself in on a regular basis. I, I love it. And how, yeah, it's, it's ridiculously over the top. It's completely unfeasible. And yet the game still has that sense of tension to it. Like, man, he might actually fall off. You know, they're never going to, it's never going to happen, but it, it's, it's just like in the movies, how the, the actors, the characters, they find themselves in these ridiculous situations and you know, they're going to pull through, but it's still exciting. I, I love it. Well, see, I love when you're watching it. And again, it's like I was saying earlier, so many little things happen as you're playing. So you're not always controlling the character and making them do things. Sometimes you're just watching and then you're bouncing in and, Excuse me, and and doing something, and you can see play with this playthrough too. That there's different things that again you're just watching as it's happening. It's a, it's a type of of play style that I fits this type of game so well because again it makes you think like if you were playing an Indiana Jones game and able to to experience the whole thing like playing the lost ark kind of thing and you're you're that character and that's what the feeling you get by all these little cutscenes, all these little things and whatnot it just oh dude my god i want this game i'm looking i can't <laughs> stop looking at it <laughs> and for those who haven't watched it and those who aren't watching live basically he's in a a, a great big jet and he's being bashed around by a monstrous guy. Picture the big guy from the, uh, that was the first one, eh? The first one. Yeah. Yeah, Raiders. by the plane, yeah. So picture that. So he's fighting that guy, and then he's fighting a whole bunch of other guys in the plane. He's nearly falling out of the damn thing. He's going through fire. It's 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 going to be in the show notes. Definitely watch it, because it's made a win. Basically, if you were on the fence about this game before, <laughs> I don't know what else could make you want to play the game now. And this is so much better than the ship they showed off at E3. And that was cool in and of itself. But this is just exponentially more awesome. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, another trailer, too, that we saw a while back was the trailer for Dead Island. Now, that actually just was released. And it was very... It's, it is one of the best game trailers I've seen in a long, long time. And I'm talking about the one where things happen in reverse and it starts off with the little girl dead, zombified. And then you see her kind of going back in through the broken window on a higher, like third or fourth floor, whatever it is. And then you see how she ran into the room where her parents were and blah, blah. Well, she didn't quite make it. But anyways, um, one of the best trailers I've seen in a long time and really, really wanted me to play. It made me want to play the game. But what also made me want to play the game was there was an interview with... Uh, who the hell was this interview with? Do you, Joe, do you know? I don't remember the dude's name, but he looked like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Uh, Dead Island Square <laughs> Enix. It's someone from Deep Silver. I don't know his name. Maybe they'll flash it while I play this. But I'm going to call him Shaggy. Call him Shaggy? He doesn't look like a Shaggy. 
He totally looks like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. No. Not really. Okay, anyways. So this dude from <laughs> Deep Silver, and he's talking about the various RPG elements in the game and how you can actually spec your character and how there are a variety of weapons and you can be crafting weapons and all that. And so it's not just your straight-up Left 4 Dead shooter kind of thing. This really, really made me more interested in the game. Now, granted, we've been hearing things about the game that aren't quite as positive right now reviews are coming out saying that there's different things that they need to work on granted vince you were saying the patch is coming out when on friday for that from what i've heard yeah yeah that is absolutely with huge huge content fixes but then that again that means that they're listening to their fans and maybe it it's it it, i would think that quite likely they had to rush the game out a little and that these yeah. are things that they would have otherwise done pre-launch. Yeah, I'd have to think if the patch is coming out this soon, this is stuff they were aware of before people got their hands on it. Oh, well, yeah. I'm Easily. thinking that they had some beta testers as well who were telling them things, and they they would have had also the um, any of the reviewers potentially telling them different things as well who were playing the game beforehand. So I, I'm glad that they're fixing things because I actually would really, really like to get my hands on this game to give it a shot. I, the, again, the concept of an RPG zombie shooter game really <laughs> interests me a lot. I think that caught a lot of people off guard too is they expected it to be like your standard shooter jo- zombie survival and to hear that it actually has like RPG elements to it, that's a whole new group of people that have just kind of raised their eyebrow and kind of started looking at this game. Yeah, like um, I haven't played it myself, but as I was laying on the couch all afternoon trying not to move very much, I was watching uh, people streaming the game, uh, playing it and watching a bunch of videos. And there's a lot of cool stuff here. Um, like there's four characters and it's a lot like Borderlands, how they can all play the same, but they each have their specialty. Uh, one of the characters specializes in throwing weapons, one in firearms, one in bladed weapons, one in blunt weapons. So that right there changes how you're going to want to play the game. And they all have, you know, their their skill trees. Like it's it's a lot of Borderlands here, and that's not a bad thing because that kind of character progression in a first-person type game is very welcome. How you, each player has their unique skill. Um, like the, the, the firearm player they showed, you know, she can pull off her rage skill and pull out a second gun, like we're going to talk about later, like we see in another game. Or um, one of the characters just goes nuts and roid rages. So there's a lot of cool stuff here that really makes each character unique. As they say in the video, makes you want to play online with different characters of different specs and see the synergy between them. The one thing I really like most about the concept of this game, execution is entirely aside, is how it's not really a first-person shooter. A lot of this game is done in melee, and that's really what makes this interesting as a zombie game. Because, yeah, sure, Left 4 Dead is awesome, but you know, you just stand back and blow away the hordes of zombies. This game almost requires you to get up close and personal for a big bulk of the game, and that excites me about it. As long as they can take care of the combat as well, because that's another thing that they various reviewers were talking about that the the melee combat is actually not as much fun as you would think okay yeah, hello it, <laughs> we, we lost <laughs> nobody's back <laughs> yeah if they fix it and if i have the time it's definitely a game i would like to play yeah definitely definitely and um i i did like how they were talking about the the synergy between the classes so that you do want to play with other people what i didn't like is that it's going to be significantly tougher not to play with other people. So I would prefer it if the difficulty was ramped up 
as you get more players playing mm-hmm. together, but still, you know, you're not almost certainly dead if you play by yourself. Because I don't make friends. We've established well, that. <laughs> the game really encourages you to play with other people. Like if you're playing connected to Xbox Live or Steam or whatever, and you're playing by yourself, and there's another player online in that exact same spot on the exact same quest line, a little alert will pop up and say, hey, this other person is doing this same thing. Why don't you group up with them? You pick Because they're an button. asshat. That's entirely possible. No, it's, but... no, I think the word you're looking for is probable. Yeah, okay, let's face it. <laughs> but I, I, I do like that they put that system in to really at least encourage people to play with each other and hopefully now nothing you, you can, there's nothing you do to encourage people not to be complete jerks. Yeah, again, I, I would have already bought this except that we were trying to get a fourth person for our, our, our pack and somebody declined. So you're saying you don't have one more friend? Well, I, I can see that, actually. I don't. And and to be honest, though, I wasn't the one setting this up. Joe was. So Joe doesn't have any other friends. I'm waiting, for a, I'm waiting for a response from somebody. Don't worry. Okay, well, I hadn't heard anything. We'll get our, we'll get our four pack. We'll get our four pack. When? Dude, make it happen. Come on. I'm working on it. Jesus. Okay, well, just having talked about Borderlands, how about we talk about it a little bit more? Because we actually saw a leaked video demo of it being played. And there was obviously one of the devs was talking in the background about the Gunzerker and everything that was going on. This was awesome (laughs) for a lot of different reasons. Now, also, in addition to that, I actually bought the Game Informer that came out that has the monstrous, let's be very honest here, monstrous article on, excuse me, Borderlands 2. Holy jeez. Dude, it's the ginger ale, okay? I'm, I'm having ginger ale and I'm belching up a storm here, okay? Uh-huh. Man, going to have to clean off the mic after. Anyways, this is a huge article on it. So I've been really, really enjoying it. And what's funny is that as you're watching the video as well, they, they're talking about how there were a lot of complaints about the questing in the first Borderlands and how there wasn't enough to it and there wasn't enough story to it and they need to do a lot more and that they used that as a focus for Borderlands 2. It's funny because as I was playing Borderlands, I mean, we all had opinions about it and, and to varying degrees loved it. I actually didn't have as much of a problem with the questing in the game. No, it wasn't massive in scope, but I wasn't expecting it to be because at heart it's still a shooter game. Right. So I just was thrilled that there were RPG elements in a first-person shooter, and I loved it. What little story was in it, I thought was actually... I, I, okay, let me put it this way. I would have loved more, but I was happy with what I got. The only thing I had a problem with were the boss fights, especially, obviously, the end of the game. We all had a problem with that. But the the actual... Okay, there's no point getting into it. <laughs> we know. <laughs> We've so, been there. <laughs> so the fact now that they're saying, okay, we heard you, we're going to make it better, that was a focus on this Borderlands 2, I can't, I I keep getting more and more excited the more I hear. And watching a video like this and reading this article, dudes, I am so looking forward to this game. It's going to be freaking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, we did get to see some of the first characters in this gameplay footage as well. And that's something that I read in the article as well, how they're saying that basically you have to go and meet all of the original characters and, you know, save them like we saw with Roland where they have to save him. And that's part of the questing that you have to go and do that. The the Pandora's changed quite a bit since the... Uh, since the, the, the problems that we saw in the first one. And there's a new head honcho in town, and he's basically making life hell for anybody who doesn't, you know, work for him or whatever. So you are part of the new groups that are going out, and you got to find the initial crew. So I loved how they're integrating it. Because quite frankly, I was expecting some of the original crew to basically just be like freaking what's his name from the car shop dude what's his name uh the guy uh, who sells you the cars gives you the cars yeah. scooter yeah <laughs> so i was expecting them to be like scooter and just have some one-liners that they shoot out or whatever and just be in in the on the side the token yeah, yeah basically so to know that they're actually going to be much more integrated into the story and Oh, man, I would love it if you actually get to fight with them as their AI, you know, and you just fight with them to as you're saying, like you know, them that's how you're going to meet Brick the first time. Do it. Punch you in the damn face. <laughs> it would be awesome. I would love it. So, like, I really, really am stoked for this. So, yeah. And then, of course, the gameplay footage. Dude, (laughs) (laughs) he was talking. Essentially, the Gunzerker is brick, except not as annoying. And (laughs) instead of the screen all going red when you do your power up, no, that's when you pull out your second gun and start firing away with the two guns. And the gameplay footage was awesome. They also said how the, the AI is going to be much more intelligent now. They're seeking cover. They're doing all kinds of different things to make your life harder. And that's something that I'm really looking forward to as well. So can, can, can we just take a moment? walk in, hit my blood wing button and collect loot? Yeah, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> Damn. We, that was awesome. Can we take a moment and talk about some of the skills they showed off too, like the oh. names of them? I'm the juggernaut, sexual tyrannosaurus. I'm all out of bubblegum. Come on. How much awesomer can I get for your skill tree? I, I really liked the guns, uh, with the, what they were showing off, the, the bandit gun that he was using for most of it. When they first announced Borderlands and talked about how you know, the weapons had so many different options, and you could have pistols that fired you know, shotgun shells and all this stuff. And we got a lot of that. We got a lot of that that cool modular functionality, but they all, you know, looked normal. This gun is what I was expecting when I first heard about Borderlands. Just a bunch of crap all clutched together, held together with duct tape. (laughs) But it looks awesome. If you look at the cover of Game Informer, I'll have to find the picture and put it in. And it's that picture of the gun, Zerker. The the gun he's holding in his left hand, the scope is a freaking old whiskey bottle or something. And so, no, I and like they were talking about some of the guns that are like the equivalent of having been made at Walmart. That once you just toss them at the guy kind of thing and (laughs) just automatically rebuild another one. So they were saying that they they built upon the game or sorry, the gun engine as well, the gun manufacturing engine. So it makes even more, even cooler. They listen in terms of uh, to the gamers in terms of the specs that are important, different things like that. So it's going to be even better. (laughs) <laughs> I midget. can't wait. Talk softly. Carry a big midget. 
boss. Yes, the boss that they showed in that video has a shield, and there's a midget tied to the front of the shield. And you have to shoot the chains so that the midget falls down. Oh, they're home. So the midget falls down, and then the midget is angry and distracts the boss so that then you can shoot at him. How that was freaking great. awesome is that? That's that's just that signature Borderlands style. Like even at the end of the video, when you get knocked off the platform, what do you do? You flip off the fucking guy that knocked you off. <laughs> it was all manner of awesome. Uh, again, I cannot say how excited I am for this, and I'm actually still working through the information that's all in this uh, this feature in the magazine. No shit, dudes, it's monstrous. And I'm gonna do some digging, see if I can find out anything else. And either by next week or the week after, I'll do a feature instead of the boys or in addition to the boys and tack it onto the show so that we can I can give you all of the information that you need to know. Okay, with that we're actually gonna take a short break and then after when we come back we've got some Batman news, we've got some Skyrim news, some Dragon Quest, and some awesome. So we'll be right back in a few minutes. Hello, my name is Joe and I am from For the Lore. Today we will be reviewing Deus Ex Human Revolution from developer Eidos Montreal and publisher Square Enix. The game was released on August 23rd, 2011. Be warned, spoilers may be contained in this review. If you do not wish to have anything ruined, please skip now. Deus Ex Human Revolution is the third game in the Deus Ex series. The first game, also an action RPG FPS, released in June of 2000, was critically acclaimed for its use of role-playing elements in a shooter, as well as the open-ended feel of the world, its incredibly cyberpunk feel, and player customizability. It received numerous awards, including many people calling it the best PC game of all time. The third installment of the series is a prequel to the events set in the year 2027, a full 25 years ahead of the first Deus Ex game. This is the dawn of human augmentation, and when it is now entering mainstream life. Unlike Deus Ex, the augmentations are not based on nanotechnology. Instead, they are mechanical augmentations, giving the game an almost steampunk feel. Players take the role of Adam Jensen, a security consultant and ex-cop employed by Seraph Industries to protect their holdings in the city of Detroit. Your first introduction into this world is a vicious attack on the laboratory by augmented black ops soldiers using a security plan and attack that Jensen himself had created. Jensen is mortally wounded, but is saved by having extremely powerful military-grade augmentations installed. It should be noted that I have a 15-minute game rule. A game has 15 minutes to grab my attention to the point where I will play it the entire way through. And the opening sequence of the game does just that. A cleverly disguised tutorial woven into RPG story elements revealing your relationship with the supporting cast epic combat right from the start, and it's all woven together in a compelling mix that makes you want to learn more. After waking from the extensive surgery, Jensen has only six months to recover before he is called back into action to help Seraph by intervening in a hostage situation. This is the player's first introduction to the radical group Purity First, a bunch of anti-Augs bent on keeping humanity safe from modifications. The first boss encounter with Purity First Leader Zeke Sanders is refreshing. You are capable of resolving the conflict without ever having to fire a shot, and instead 
can talk the situation down. This sets the tone for the entire game. Player's choice drives the gameplay. Choice in combat or stealth. What modifications to make to your body and how to progress through the levels. After resolving the hostage conflict, players begin to unravel a much larger plot at work. First players end with Jensen investigating a warehouse that happens to house the criminals that attacked Seraph headquarters. It turns out that the warehouse is in fact an internment camp run by FEMA. Adam is spotted by Lawrence Barrett, a heavily augmented soldier, and an unavoidable boss fight begins. After Bessie Barrett, Jensen gets an address in Hangshaw Island in China. Just before Barrett tries to kill himself and by exploding his remaining frag grenades in an epic scene straight from the movies. Controls in combat are tight and responsive, and everything from yourself to your weaponry can be upgraded and augmented. The sheer level of customizability is something to be applauded here. Every playstyle is welcome and is as valid as the others. Pure stealth, pure combat, and everything in between. The game is also littered throughout with security locks and passcodes for everything from personal computer logins to locks on warehouses. Players can come across codes and passwords through datapads, emails, and PDAs, or if they are enterprising enough, they can hack the system. Hacking is an interesting uh, sub-game, and it takes the role of taking over various nodes in a system. Once all nodes have been compromised, you gain access. It is not without a time limit, though, as your intrusion will alert security protocols to your presence. You must take over the nodes before they can trace you back to your point of entry, and guards then be alerted and set to take you out. This can be augmented by defending and fortifying your position, virus software that can be unleashed to speed up your hacking, and various other programs. The game itself has a very Blade Runner type feel to it, with heavy sepia tones and an art style that fits very well with the cyberpunk feel of the game, as it looks like it is just being done growing out of its steampunk roots. Even the subtle art style between NPCs is amazing. NPCs who support augmentation dress in a neo-Italian Renaissance style clothing and decorate their offices and homes in the same manner. People who do not are more traditionally dressed. To be honest, the game is a perfect setup to the events of the world of Deus Ex. There are many links between the two games, one major mark being the person Bob Page, owner of Page Industries, and also one of the main antagonists from the first Deus Ex game. His presence in this game world does nothing but very distinctly highlight the link between the two games. The game is smart, fun, well-programmed, and the story is rich and compelling. Not just the main story either, but also the side quests and stories that are unraveled as you go through. There are optional, but I highly suggest you pick them up as often as possible. They reveal important things such as additional codes to be used later on doors and locks in the main storyline, and also bits of story that you would not have gotten otherwise. It is worth every penny spent on it, and if you enjoy shooters, action adventures, RPGs, or stealthy games, then this is the game for you. You control how you play the game, and it has infinite replayability, as every time you go through, you can do something different. I cannot suggest this game enough, especially for fans of the Deus Ex series. The game is available on PC, Xbox 360, and the PS3.
And we're back. Okay, we're going to touch first on Batman because, again, the more that I'm hearing about this, the more I'm getting excited about this. There's a couple of games right now. A couple? Well, okay, there's a couple of games right now (laughs) that, again, you would think that there's not much more that they can say. And that, okay, you're sold already, for Christ's sakes, no more. And they come up with something else that just makes you want it that much more. And again, the more I'm hearing about Arkham City, the the, the more that, uh, well, I was, we were just talking during the break there, I've actually got a couple of games set aside that I'm done with now that I'm going to be trading in so that I can have the trade-in value. And I'm going to be picking it up for the 360 so that I can have the Connect integration. So, but... Joe, you were reading up on this as well because they they put out some information in regards to a whole crap load of stuff. Oh yeah, there's been a there is a ton of uh, new stuff released here. Um, well, let's start it out from the beginning, right? If you played Batman Arkham Asylum, and I really seriously hope you did, if not, go fix it. You'll remember that one of the greatest and most interesting side quests in the game were the Riddler challenges. There were puzzlers that puzzles that you could uh, basically you had to solve that would reward you with Riddler trophies, and were often accompanied by the taunts and jeers of the Riddler himself, one of Batman's iconic villains. Uh, Batman Arkham City is no different, and in fact takes it a few steps further. There are 270 in-world challenges and an undisclosed number of increasingly difficult challenge rooms. The challenge rooms are complex and compelling puzzles that will force you to use all of Batman's tools to solve them, and oftentimes will have appearances by the Riddler himself in one form of another to taunt you, something we didn't get in the first game. Um... To kind of put it into perspective, the one challenge that they talked about was one of the earlier ones where you had to make your way through a series of uh, tunnels and ductways to save somebody who was dangling from near death. Um, it also appears that the gadgetry that we're going to be using during these is going to be getting quite an extensive overhaul. For example, the Batman line launcher, which is the one that allows you to zip line from point to point, uh, will be able to launch a second line mid-travel so that you can change directions while in motion. Well, that's what that's, they did on the video that I would been te- I told you about last time. Yes. Where you see him racing around Arkham City. That's how he's doing it. Well, because you have to. And the, and that's because of the size of the Arkham City himself. Mm-hmm. Arkham City itself is so huge that you have to paraglide, batarang, uh, grappling hook, and zip line from one end to the other. Or you can't get around. If you try to walk from one place to another, it's going to take you bloody forever. So getting from rooftop to rooftop... That's a major thing right there. And it's it's awesome that we're at a point right now where the technology is so strong and the developers are so good at what they do that they can put a freaking city that it's not just that it's, you know, there's pathing so that you have to fly. No, if you want to, you can run it. It's all there. But, you know, they don't advise you to do that, but it's actually there. You can run it. Like, it speaks to the scope of what it is you're playing. It's massive. Oh, yeah, yeah but this, the scale of the city is absolutely huge. And for, you know, lack of a better term, it you can tell that they've actually, well, for they've read the comics. This is a labor of love. This is something that they've paid attention to the movies. They've paid attention to the comics. And they've, they've created um, this Arkham City in, you know, it's all of its splendor. So it's not like this little rinky-dink instance. It's the entire friggin' city. I just hope I don't have to figure out which square inch of a building top I have to stand on to line up the fucking question mark. 
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the Riddler stuff was one of my favorite things from Arkham Asylum. I'm pretty sure I got the trophy for doing like 75% of them. And it was a yeah. blast. And, and I, I forget where I read it, um, but somebody was saying with the 270 challenges and the rooms and everything, there's almost 30 hours of content in the game just for the Riddler. <laughs> That's ludicrous. But it is making certain that you're getting your value for what it is oh, that hell you're, yeah. you're playing. So it's the equivalent, again, of when you're looking at a game like, well, Skyrim that's going to be coming out where the actual mainline quests are only going to be a smaller portion and that it's all of the sideline stuff that you can waste your life playing. <laughs> <laughs> that's what this is. Um, what else do you find out? Well, basically, part of it is a reaction to the, how people perceive the first game. The first game was actually relatively short. Um, and that was one of the things that they got the most comments on, that you can complete the entire first game in about eight hours of gameplay. So people felt that they didn't really get their money's worth. It seems that everything about the game now is being extended to say, well, you complained it wasn't big enough before. Here you go. Have many, many hours of main questing on top of all the little side stuff. One of the also the things that I thought was kind of cool about it is how they described how the different sections of the city are spread out. Whereas if you go to the penguin section, um, it's completely different and looks completely different than if you happen across the Joker section or if you happen across Two Faces section. So there's very distinct lines along it. Um, there's also going to be a I believe I was reading this. It's going to be a Catwoman play sequence as one of the yeah. actions. Oh yeah, yeah, I read that too. Yeah. And while, and while I'm not exactly excited about the content, the controls for it and the combat for it is infinitely smoother than what happened with the Joker in the first game. And I think that's kind of important to, to note that they've took a look at what some of the problems were uh, in the first game. Like some of the things that like the first game really did capture Batman pretty well, but they're looking at it and be like, well, it didn't do it exactly enough justice. So let's make the combat system a lot more fluid. Let's make multiple takedowns a lot more fluid. So there's scenes where Batman will be taking down literally not just one person at a time and then getting up and awkwardly fighting another person, but he has multiple takedowns where he'll be able to like, you know, gung fu in and just completely take out like three people at once and then roll through and go to the next batch of people, which is a lot more Batman-esque. Um, so that's what that's what I've really gotten out of it so far, um, is that everything is bigger, everything is shinier, everything is better, well-defined, and things are smoother. And I think that it's important to to say as well, we, we've talked about the comic book on the comic book and forum podcast that Vince and I do. We've talked about the, um, the the Batman Arkham City series. Now that it's done, I'm hoping that we're actually going to cover the entirety of the series on maybe one of our episodes. Um, because <laughs> I think, hint, hint, if not, I'll do it on one of the ones that I'm hosting. <laughs> you may want to catch up if you haven't read them all. Um, <laughs> but I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic, and it really set you up for what you can expect in the game. I didn't think it was as good as, say, the miniseries for Deus Ex that I really, really loved. Um, but I think that it was still very good, and it did a good job of setting up what the game is going to be. Even if you didn't play Arkham Asylum, you're really going to be able to play and enjoy Arkham City, especially if you've read the um, the com the comic book miniseries. Yeah, just all the different uh, forces at work between Joker, Penguin, uh, Hugo Strange, and then they do a little cameo they showed at the end with uh, you know all the other characters like Ivy and whatnot. So yeah, the comic was cool and it's a really great setup for the game. I'm just wondering what's up with Buff Robin. 
Oh, the uh, oh, those, yeah. this, the, the dude was huge. Muscular Robin. Yeah. <laughs> no clue. No clue. What's up with that? All right. When is that one coming out again? Batman. October like nineteenth or something. October eleventh or October eighteenth. I can't remember which one. I, th- I think it was two weeks after Rage. So yeah, the eighteenth sounds about right. Yeah. But um, yeah, my copy's already pre-ordered. Mine will be due. Ha. <laughs> There's I'll no be, way in I'll be using freaking City. waving my arms around because of the connect shooting batarangs. That'd be awesome. Knock my kid out. Okay, let's move away from Batrang now and talk about Skyrim because we got some more information about Skyrim as well. Joe, once again. Well, we learned five very interesting facts about Skyrim, right? So with the epic fifth game in the Elder Scrolls series, it seems kind of appropriate that we find out five interesting facts. And new information will always be welcome, especially for one of the most anticipated games of the year. The first thing we learn is not everyone can or will die. In previous games, it was possible to kill just about any NPC. Anyone. Anyone. (laughs) Don't Um, make your face. You die. Hold on. Including people that had certain cures for certain diseases, like vampirism. (laughs) Been there, brother. (laughs) Well, Well, it seems like fun to some people in previous installments. It can mean that the game could progress no further. In Skyrim, though, key characters or characters that are considered central to the game or story will not be able to be killed. Everyone else, though, is fair game, and you can slaughter to your murderous heart's content. Number two. Play like a beast master. Animal control. You know that thing where you can control animals? Sounds pretty pretty self-explanatory there. Some characters will have the power to temporarily control animals, either through an ability or through magic. There are, however, limitations. The animals will react within their limit and nature. Take control of a duck, and it doesn't want to turn into the Terminator instantly. Instead, it will probably just whack at you and fly away. (laughs) Conversely, take control of a wolf, and you may see more positive combat results. Basically, you need to make a smart choice about what animals control and when, simply because, well, you get a limited amount of times to do it. So, you see that little kitten? Don't try mind controlling it. Go for the giant fucking bull. More likely, it'll do what you want. No, I want Dexter. (laughs) Or Spider Gato. Number three. You are not a mountain. Encumbrance. Oh, that a term many, pisses me off. Go ahead. <laughs> a term many D&D players are all too familiar with. Carry too much stuff, and, well, you get bogged down. As you discover shiny new sets of gears or weapons or even items in-game, you may be tempted to carry them all with you. They, however, all have weight. Try to carry everything in the world Katamari style and be prepared to inch your way between adventures. In previous Elder Scrolls, it was possible to encumber yourself before you ever left the starting yes, you weren't area. even out of the sewers. <laughs> I know. Out of the sewers in Oblivion, you're encumbered. It's like, come on. Well, let's face it. It can be downright annoying, as Roger has aptly oh. you know, demonstrated. <laughs> Uh, but even this feature will remain in Skyrim. However, the difference is your limit has been raised in correlation with statistics from the last game and how many people just love to carry stuff with them. Be aware, though, that no matter how strong you are, dragon bones are quite heavy. Basically, they're increasing the limit of your encumbrance, which is good because that makes friggin' sense because I don't want to carry around a fucking feather pillow and feel like I can't move very fast. It was, uh, you know what? That's one of the things that I, I really, really hated. Now I understand oh. the logistics of it. You want this this modicum of reality in your game because you wouldn't be able to carry all that without being encumbered. Guess what, buddy? I wouldn't be able to swing that freaking two hander that's bigger than my house either. But I can in the game. There's some <laughs> things that you can kind of let go of that don't have to make sense, and that is, in my opinion, one of them. Being encumbered are- in them. Oh, oh. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. There are dragons roaming the yeah, countryside really. yeah. that you can defeat by throwing snowballs at them. 
Yeah. But you can't carry two suits yeah. of armor. Jesus Christ. That's a damn good point. Are you listening, Bethesda? <laughs> because, like, it's... Oh, I... Oh, I, I It's just... <laughs> It makes me so mad. I can't find the right words. <laughs> I hated, hated that. I hated it in Morrowind. I hated it in Oblivion. The problem is, is that it's one of the main ways that you can make money is by gathering everything and then selling it off. So you're going to want to gather damn near everything. Plus, they want you to pick freaking herbs. They want you to, you know, gather different things for your crafting and all that. Well, that takes up weight as well. And so there's a lot of different things that you need to carry with you or that you found and you want to carry. And then they just, they put so much crap falling out of everybody. Every goddamn ogre you kill apparently carries a kitchen sink with them full of shit. No, so, no, 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 not a kitchen sink, just a metric ton of chain mail. Come yeah, on. there's a ton of everything. So, duh, you're going to want to pick it all up and bring it with you to go hawk it. Well, there's your problem, Bethesda. Just don't make them drop as much shit then if you can't carry it <laughs> all. Just make sure you don't put gold items in and have Roger miss one. Oh, dude, we're not going there. Now, speaking of gold items, uh, number four, <laughs> difficulty that might not make you want to swear at your screen or throw your computer. In previous Elder Scroll games, the game would scale the enemies in an area to be tougher than the player character. This often and affectionately was referred to as the power creep. It's designed to ensure that player is always on their toes and always earning XP. But getting toes. killed by a boar in the starting area can only be fun for so long. In Skyrim, instead, of, the game will scale the difficulty based on user levels. Um, it's going to have each area of the world will have its own difficulty level. This is more in line with like the Fallout 3 way of content scaling. Now, that said, if you wander in an area that you really shouldn't be in quite yet and you kill something, you have an increased chance at getting rare and special loot drops. And again, maybe Roger can finally get his gold item. Okay, you know, that I'm all right with where you're getting better loot kind of thing. But that wasn't freaking Oblivion. You're not getting better shit. I know. It's just harder. <laughs> you're well, getting beat by a freaking kitten. An old lady's kitten <laughs> is beating you up. And you ain't getting some cool shit. There's no tinker toy there that you can have after he dies. Well, that was the thing, too. They wanted they wanted to make sure that players were getting rewarded for the more difficult challenges if they were going against it and winning. And that was one thing they said they wanted to add in there because, literally, they had so many people complaining about dying to a fucking cat or dying to a, a stupid boar or whatever minor starting creature it was when they weren't paying attention that it was just kind well, of Well, it's not really paying attention so much as it depends in what order you were doing things because, mm -hmm. I mean, you could not do the main storyline and just go off and do whatever else shit you wanted to do. So I played it a couple of times because I played it both on the 360 as well as on the PC. And I found that I would, again, approach it differently. In one of my playthroughs, I finished the main storyline immediately. I didn't do anything else. I just did that. So I was a freaking little newbie dude, and I was going up about it against everybody in that freaking hellfire place. So it, you can tell it's been a while since I played. I can't remember all the names of the places. But, I mean, I did it, and it was actually easier to do it that way than to go back and do the main storyline later as a higher level character because that freaking hellfire place when you go through the portal <laughs> the oblivion thing and you go through there and you're high level and they've all ramped up it was fucking brutal it was damn near impossible to do well, see i think the biggest problem at least from my perspective with oblivion and the previous elder scrolls games as far as the enemy scaling was the way your character leveled up i mean if you didn't play your character properly 
you, you just weren't leveled right. Like you could gain levels by jumping fucking up and down enough. So like, yeah, yeah if, I'm, that's if, 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 if I'm a level 12 character, but I only gained, you know, seven of those levels by doing anything useful, I, I'm essentially level seven fighting level 12 monsters. I think that was the big problem, at least with the way those games were structured for me. So and it, and, seems, it seems like and, that's not going to be the yeah, case here. Yeah, but that, that, that was one of the biggest things that made me go, okay, I definitely have to make the time to play Skyrim because when I when I learned how they were changing up your character progression, I was like, okay, that was my biggest problem with the other Elder Scrolls games. Now for number five, the final and probably most painful of all, the DLC, DLC Pain Train. Welcome aboard. DLC seems to be the name of the game now when it comes to action-adventure RPGs, and Skyrim, unfortunately, does not dodge the bullet. On top of the already hundreds of hours of possible gameplay in the game, uh, the DLC will be made available that will expand the game world. The first one, which has yet to have any details announced aside from the scale of it, will be on a scale similar to the Point Lookout DLC for Fallout. Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about DLC in this game. I think it's going to be... Uh, I'm all for it. I, I don't know. You know what? To this day, if a DLC came out for Oblivion that was good, okay, not not a piece of shit, but like let's just say um, the the entirety of one of the guild storylines. So yes, that's a big DLC. I would buy it to play it. If you can give me the equivalent of the Dark Brotherhood entirety of that quest line, but as something different, another guild, which it would make sense that something would come about in that world. A new guild starts up for whatever, you know, freaking fish See, trappers, something. It, it, and if it's well done, you can put it in, and that way that world lives on. I can deal with that. I can deal with it like it's an extra story or a loose end that gets tied up later. My only concern is with the way that DLCs seem to be going with most games now, that it would turn into a potential, you know, money gouge where it's like a main piece of the story is not completed, so they release it later as a DLC. And I'm not saying that I don't have faith in, Beth in Bethesda. Um, and not that I say, that, not that I think that they won't put out quality products. It's still a concern because those DLCs are not cheap. You go look at their their ten, fifteen bucks a pop some cases. Very seldom are they like cheap, like four or five bucks. And even then, any additional money that you're spending on top of it, especially if you're getting a collector's edition for Skyrim and you're already dropping almost two bills on this thing, it adds up. And it's how much money can you really put into this game that you're already going to be investing several, several hundred hours into. So it's a concern. I would, I really want to know more about the DLC that they have planned, what type of content it has before I pass judgment, but I am weary. Eh, I'm I'm okay with it. I mean, I've bought plenty of DLC for plenty of great games, and the fact that there was DLC didn't, you know, detract from the 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 regular product itself. I mean, sure, there are some games out there who purposefully leave bits out for DLC, Prince of Persia, Dragon but Age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I win I, that I, argument, buddy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> But I, I have no problem with any of the DLCs I paid for on, say, Mass Effect. Sure, some were better than others, but I feel they were all worth the purchase. And more importantly, the core game wasn't missing anything without them. So I, it, we're going to have to see, and I don't think uh, Bethesda is going to pull any more horse armor on us. See, I, I agree with Vince, and I look at it that way, but I'm also looking at it in that if Bethesda decides not to be pricks about it and they're not going to leave loose endings but then but that once again the DLC is just 
additional something in that world that you can take part in. It has nothing to do with the main storyline, so you don't have to feel like you're missing out. It's just, again, a new guild that you're a part of. Or, you know what, a dragon is over there in the city needs your help. Can you go and help him out? And that could just be a small one. Or things like that where, because they know now that they're setting it up so that your character can continue to exist in that world. That was a mistake that they made before that they had to, to fix on Fallout 3, so they decided no, you're definitely going to be able to continue on in the world, exploring, doing whatever you want. If the world is that well crafted that people want to stay in it for a long time afterwards, and if the DLC that comes out allows you to keep your character that you've worked hard to to level up and do these things, dude, I am all for it. I, I'm i not weary in the least. I would be looking forward to it. Regardless of the 200 hours spent on the game, this would be like, awesome! There's a freaking new dragon here that I gotta go kill, or awesome! A new guild that I can work my way through. These are all things that extend the game for a fraction of the cost of a new game. Okay. Okay, so... No, I'm just, I'm, I was listening, that's all. Okay, cool. So, anyways, we're. I know that you're putting it off, Joe. You said, but Vince, yours is it already pre-ordered or you're pre-ordered? No, because I just buy it where I work and get a discount. Right, but you're you're good to go day one, or are you gonna give it a little bit of time for the reviews or whatever? I should be good to go day one, barring oh, uh, anything else going on at the time. I'm sorry. What was that, Joe? I'm still buying it. It's just gonna be a while before I can actually sit down and play it. Ah. Well, mine, like I said, pre-order day one, dude. So I'm, assuming I have rage I might, and I might Arkham have a, Asylum <laughs> coming down with. <laughs> sorry, boss, I can't can't work today. <laughs> All right, it'll be traveling with me wherever I go. If I go on vacation and go somewhere, if it's got a TV, <laughs> all the Xbox is coming with, and it'll get plugged in. Don't worry, it's gonna be time. <laughs> all right, let's talk a little bit about some Dragon Quest now. Vince, you were the one that uh, that found this, and the only one that uh, the three of us is excited about this game. I didn't say I was excited. Well, you played the other one. You played nine. I, I've played all the Dragon Quest games. It's one of those franchises I grew up with. And, that's you know, that's being excited. you got to be excited fond, if you're playing Fond them. memories of my childhood with a controller in my hand and a Nintendo Power on my lap playing Dragon Warrior. So, yeah, I, I've always been a fan of the Dragon Quest series. As opposed I, to I felt, Joe who had something else in his hands and something else on his lap. Yeah. Uh, you're really going to ruin this, this nice, wholesome... Yeah, it's ruined. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> is. <laughs> All right, Thanks. go ahead. <laughs> All right, well, anyway, uh, back in 2008, Square Enix announced that Dragon Quest X was going to be coming to the Wii. Now, this was before Dragon Quest IX had come out on the DS, so it was a ways off. Uh, Monday afternoon in Japan, which was late Sunday night uh, over here in the States, they had their big press conference finally unveiling Dragon Quest X. And there was all kinds of rumors going around for it. And some of them were true. Some of them were not. Some of them I wish weren't. Uh, anyway, the game is titled Dragon Quest X, Rise of the Five Tribes Online. Uh, yes, they're going online <laughs> with Dragon Quest X. Taking a lot of the... What? <laughs> online! <laughs> Taking a lot of the elements that were present in Dragon Quest IX and just carrying them through to their next level. How in Dragon Quest IX, you, there was a lot of uh, multiplayer options, uh, not ones that many people got to use because if you tried to use your DS over Wi-Fi, it's not a pleasant experience. Uh, <laughs> but the Wii, 
technically has better online capabilities. Uh, I, the Wii is, of course, not known for its online usage, but they're giving it a good try. Uh, they said the game is coming out to the Wii as well as the Wii U. The Wii U version is going to have enhanced graphics, but it will be the exact same game, even featuring cross-platform gameplay. So that's pretty cool. You can upgrade and not have to you know, lose out on whatever's going on. But I mean, just the Wii itself, its processing capabilities, that's a lot for an online game is a lot for the Wii to handle. And it kind of shows in at least what we're seeing here. Now, this is unfinished, of course, but it's not exactly the most attractive game that you'll see. I, I think that's kind of putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking about the game itself, uh, what little bit we know about the story is that it's set in the world of Astoria, which has five continents, and each continent is home to a different race, the titular five tribes. And, well, that's pretty much all we know at this point. Uh, the game, from what I've seen here, is essentially a full single-player Dragon Quest game with the stories, the quests, the cutscenes. You're just playing it in a shared online world with the option of multiplayer in in the actual game. Uh, they said that the early parts of the game can be played offline, but an internet connection will be required for the bulk of it. So that's interesting. That's not good. That's yeah, not good Espe especially when they give you the option of playing solo and you can fill out your party with AI-controlled NPCs, similar to Dragon Quest IX, but not with as much control as it was there. Um, the combat... Uh, it's kind of hard to tell from the, the videos they showed. It seems like it's maybe a version of the ATB system from some of the uh, the Final Fantasy games, like 7, 8, etc. Um, not sure how that's going to work, again, in an online setting. Uh, when the combat is initiated, there's an actual transition, like in a, like in a regular you know, single-player RPG, where it actually shifts you out of the game world. And you can see the other people around you and they can see you. You just can't interact with each other, which takes a lot of the online element out of the game for me. It's, it's just, it's very strange the way they're executing it. Well, what's the point is, yeah. is what I'm thinking. Honestly, I, what is the selling point that they're trying to say for why it should be online? I don't really have one <laughs> because it has online in the title. There you go. Uh, one of the cooler features is when you are offline, you can enable your character to be available at the tavern where your friends can use your character that you've built, you've equipped as one of their NPC companions in their party. That <laughs> seems pretty cool. But again, it's, I would it's... use your NPC for very naughty things. <laughs> your NPC would you'd go to play the next day your NPC would be lying drunk his underwear on his head shaved off eyebrows <laughs> Raj what the hell did you do to my NPC <laughs> it's just ginger ale folks <laughs> oh come on that would be hilarious <laughs> a red scarf around his naughty bits <laughs> Good thing there's churches in the game. Remind me not to enable that option. Oh, that would be so funny. <laughs> something stuck up your ass. Oh, no, you've already got something there. Oh! <clears throat> Weren't you talking about something? <laughs> God, I don't even know why I put up with you. I don't either. 
The game uh, is going to feature a job system uh, very similar to what was in Dragon Quest IX, or for those who didn't play that, let's say Final Fantasy V, where characters have different jobs available. They can swap between them and use the skills from one job and another and really enhance the character. Uh, they've said that they will be releasing new jobs after release, whether it's paid or not. We don't know. It's still too early. And that crafting jobs are available. Now, I don't know if this is a translation deal because the whole thing was in Japanese. I don't know if they mean just you know crafting professions or if that's an actual job for your character like we saw in Final Fantasy XIV. Unfortunately, just like Final Fantasy XIV, the crafting is very interactive with a bunch of mini games for the crafting. They showed hammering out the sword yourself instead of just sitting there for a few seconds and out pops a sword or cutting the fabric for, for your shirts and everything. And that's cool. That's fun. But in an online no, game where you're going to be... <laughs> it's cool. I to it's... do that shit. It'd be fucking no, no. <laughs> in real life. You fucking kidding me? Vince, you're the only in... one of us three that thinks that crafting is cool. In a game... Look at me, guys. That... I, can, I can make a hammer. Yeah! In a game, having that interactivity <laughs> in the crafting once or every once in a while is fun. But having to repeat it over and over again in an MMO, just like in Final Fantasy, makes you want to put your face through the screen. That's what I was getting to. Not fast enough. Jerks. Nope, not fast <laughs> enough. Sorry. Now, one of the cool things they've talked about is as you're crafting the weapons and the gear... If your gear is used by enough people in the game world, it's actually going to grant your character a certain status. That's pretty cool. That's something I haven't seen anywhere else. I'll give you uh, that. Yeah. yeah. Finally, we're, we're getting a game that's doing player housing right. They showed in the video the dude laying out his house, putting the tables, putting the chairs, putting the beds, putting the paintings. And they have said you will be able to invite your friends over to see your house. Something we've been asking for in games forever. And this is finally the first one that's doing it and doing it right. Really? Because I seem to remember that being in Minecraft. <sighs> Minecraft doesn't count. Minecraft it's is a more fucking Lego simulator. It's more successful. Yeah, that's why it doesn't count. This is count. true. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's not customizable player housing. That's customizable worlds. That's completely different. But still. Maybe. <laughs> uh, even though the game is coming out on the Wii. Best Joe impersonation ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the game is coming out on the Wii, motion control is not going to be a factor. You can play the game with the Wii remote and nunchuck, as well as a classic controller, or it'll even support a USB keyboard, which is very nice to see. Um, so the, it, it's out there. It's definitely controversial. Um, we really need to wait to see more. Uh, the game is coming out on the Wii in Japan some point in 2012. Uh, one has to assume the North American and European versions to follow at some point, as well as the Wii U version. So there's a lot more to be seen about the game. Hopefully a lot more interesting about the game because I, I'm not seeing it here. And they've said that, yes, it's an online game. It is going to have an associated fee for playing online. I even love the way they word it, is if you want to play, if you choose to play the game online, there will be a fee. When they flat out said, you can't play the game online. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just, it, I, I don't know. It's, it's goofy as all hell. Now, that being said, Monster Hunter Try, which came out last year, I believe, on the Wii, 
in Japan, that did have a subscription fee, and when they brought it to Europe and North America, it was free to play online. So it's possible we will see something similar for Dragon Quest X. And if so, then I could at least see maybe possibly considering playing it. But with a subscription fee, there's really not enough here for me to, to, to consider playing the game. Okay, with that, we're actually going to call it a wrap for tonight. This has been an extra long show once again, but we actually had a crap load of stuff worth talking about. So, as usual, you guys can find us online. You can find the site, of course, at forthelore.com. The Gmail, in case you need to send any comments, requests, or submissions, is forthelore at gmail.com and Twitter, forthelore. And you can find us on uh, G Plus as well. All of our personal information for our sites and whatnot is on the site in our profiles. So, of course, make sure to Go and check that out. If you have any, uh, any, I was going to say something and I forgot what I was going to say. Holy crap in hell, I need the button to end this show. Seriously, dude. <laughs> I'm going to make that happen. None of this is actually going in the show. So if you're listening live, enjoy it. <laughs> Hoogs, you're the only one. Thank God. <laughs> and we're done. I'll, I'll record something later. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot express to you guys how loopy I am right now. She says she doesn't want to know what you do in your... Oh, okay. It's, see, this is why it's important to read all of the words in a sentence. Oh, Morse code. Not yet. <laughs> Save us. We're stuck just, in a sub. Just do the entire episode of Morse, Joe. <laughs> The Atlanteans are attacking. <laughs> so you guys are laughing, but I'm really fucking annoyed. <laughs> Send Wonder Woman. <laughs> Tell her to bring the helm. <laughs> It'll detract her attention from the sub. Fairscope's away. That's what I need in my soundboard. A porn rift. Oh, God. <laughs> I can't think of any situation that could possibly go well. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I want it, and it's going to be <laughs> bound to the P. <pee. laughs> yeah, he's gone. <laughs> Screw you guys. <laughs> you guys are mean. Call me. Call me. Only if you've fixed your problem. Your problem with the mic, that is. There's not even. I got funny. Tart tells them the same exact thing. Yeah. I got meds that'll fix me. You ain't got nothing that'll fix you, brother. <laughs> you can hear the stifled rage. I'm gonna wear my red rage ring during the entire episode, just in honor of you, brother. Yeah, but he had to get those last ten achievement points because sixty-five thousand just isn't enough. No, no, it's not. Who's wanted to come on and talk about Deus Ex, and then he wanted to talk about the Baconing. And I said, we're not talking about the Baconing this epi episode, so it doesn't matter. So, but if you want, you can actually record a cohesive, coherent <laughs> feature that's not just a bunch of rambling swears. If you can manage that, then maybe I'll play it if it's any good. And when I finish Deus Ex and Space Marine and The Old Republic, I'll consider it. The Old Republic never ends. It's like that song. It's an MMO. It's not supposed to end. You don't finish an MMO. Okay, whatever. On Hang Chang Island, maybe. <laughs> okay, shut up. 
<laughs> trying to start a podcast here. God damn it. Hello and welcome to For the Lord. There's Roger coming to you on Tuesday. The Tuesday, Tuesday, not Tuesday, Tuesday. Ah, Roger, how don't... Roger, how don't sound drunk enough? Dude, you, you type drunk enough for the both of us. <laughs> I can sound medicated and you can sound plastered. How's that? <laughs> Let's try this again. Shut up, dude. <laughs> you are not helping. <laughs> I went to see the bad lady today, and she really hurt my knees, so I've been on painkillers. <laughs> like, really, really hurt, dude. You, like, stare her down and call her the bad lady to her face? Yes, I do. Plus, I, I love you. I grip the freaking... She watches my hands, because I got to grip the thing that I'm on, sitting on, because otherwise I will freaking clock her. I love that I can play videos, though from the laptop <laughs> and the Skype doesn't go <laughs> <laughs> your voice went higher lower higher lower squelchy not so much by the ocean for some reason and <laughs> all manner of everything I was trying to get Vince to drop his mic although he bitched the whole time 